Welcome to the Climate Book Review. The Climate Book Review is a radio show and podcast featuring book reviews, author interviews, and reading lists for fiction, nonfiction, and poetry with climate themes. Climate Book Review airs every Friday at 10.30 a.m. Central on WDBX 91.1 FM, solar-powered community radio for Southern Illinois. You can also find the show online at wdbx.org, climatebookreview.com, and on your favorite podcast app or site. We've gotten on a few of those currently. We're trying to get them listed everywhere we can find them. But uh, you can find the RSS feed at climatebookreview.com. Climate Book Review is hosted by me, Tree Song. The two main segments of the show are the Climate Book of the Week and the Climate Reading List of the Week. If you have suggestions for the show, please send them to info at climatebookreview.com. Now it's time for the Climate Book of the Week. This week's Climate Book of the Week is Bannerless by Carrie Vaughn. If the author would like to be a guest in a future episode of the Climate Book Review, I'd be happy to have them. In the meantime, here's my review, so I will go ahead and go with my review of it. And we are trying to schedule authors for future interviews. It may take a little while since we're a new show, but uh, we will announce them here when they are ready. So today's book is... Book of the Week is Bannerless by Carrie Vaughn. Bannerless by Carrie Vaughn is a murder mystery set in a future where society as we know it has collapsed due to climate change. As the two main characters investigate a crime, uh, their journey reveals more details about what life is like after the collapse. This makes for both a suspenseful murder mystery and a fascinating exploration of what life might be like after a major societal collapse caused by climate change. The story takes place in the Coast Road region, a loose network of small but relatively stable communities that forms the basis for a new society built on the ruins of the old. At the beginning of the story, Coast Road seems downright utopian in most regards. Um, it honestly reminds me of some of my uh, explorations of municipalism and uh, communalism that I've explored on my other show, Local Democracy. Uh, there's not much in the way of advanced technology in this society because most of it was lost during the collapse, although some remnants, like a community-owned solar-powered car, still exist. So it's interesting to have this combination of a, a somewhat more low-tech lifestyle, but a few remnants, like a solar car. People have adapted to this new low-tech reality by keeping their settlements within walking or biking distance of each other, and making or trading for all of their necessities the technology they have available. 
serious violent crime is almost unheard of, because everyone's basic needs are met. There's not much wealth inequality, and households work together to support each other, the community as a whole, and the other communities in the network. The one big dystopian element of this story that comes to light early on in the novel is the fact that reproductive rights have been sharply limited. Everyone who reaches the age of fertility receives a mandatory long-term contraceptive implant. When their household demonstrates that it's productive and stable enough to provide for a new person, they receive a new banner, which is where the title of the novel comes from, which entitles them to have another child. The goal of this system is to encourage households to contribute productively to society, while also discouraging the infinite growth mentality that led to the collapse. This system of implants and banners is an interesting adaptation to life after the collapse. It's objectionable to present-day readers who value reproductive rights. Uh, Most people in this future society in, in this novel accept it more readily. It's a system they've grown up in, and it makes sense to them as a way to avoid another collapse. It does, however, lead to some contention over who in the household and the community gets to have banners for the sake of having children. There's also a stigma for people and households who don't have banners, because by association it means they are not contributing productively to the community. Which is, it's quite a strange and it, you know, it's interesting to include both the utopian and the dystopian elements in the same story, which is it's kind of rare. A lot of stories often go for purely utopian or purely dystopian. Part of what I find fascinating and enjoyable about Bannerless is that on the surface... It's a fairly simple and effective murder mystery story. In the process of investigating this murder, however, the characters and readers alike learn more about the society in which it takes place. That's an important part of climate fiction in general that I look for is not just does the story have climate elements, but is the underlying story that is being told interesting for its own sake. Two investigators travel along the coast road to investigate a suspected murder in a distant town. Murders are rare on the coast road, and the trip to investigate this one is longer and more suspenseful than it would be in today's society. The investigators don't know what exactly the town they're traveling to will be like, or how they will be received. Investigators are often regarded with suspicion, even in the best of times, so they know that their arrival will not be celebrated. The big question, however, is whether or not they will receive enough hospitality and cooperation from the locals to determine if there was in fact a murder, and if so, who committed the crime. Their journey and their investigation reveal a great deal about their society. For the reader, the road trip and murder investigation both serve as a very natural and engaging form of exposition for the characters and the setting. I enjoyed learning more about this society, bit by bit, as the investigators traveled to new places, reached their destination, and poked and prodded at witnesses and suspects to determine who exactly had the motive and opportunity to commit the crime. And that is a delicate balance with exposition, I can say, both as a reader and an author, to, um, if you have this entirely different world, to find ways to introduce it that don't seem like heavy-handed exposition, to just naturally, in the course of their investigation of this murder, introduce the reader to more of the society. There is also a portion of the story where the main character learned more about what life is like in the ruins of the old society that lie at the edge of the coast road. 
For most of the book, the reader is learning things about the world that these characters already know. How the banner system works, how communities relate to each other, what love and relationships are like in this new society, and so on. For the journey into the ruins, though, it was interesting and suspenseful to learn right along with the main character and her companion what the sprawling ruins of a major city looked like after the collapse. The people of the Coast Road mostly know what life is like in their rather sheltered and largely utopian part of the world. So a glimpse into life in the ruins is shocking both to the characters and to the reader. Overall, I found Bannerless to be a compelling read. It's a very creative yet also very believable depiction of life after the collapse of society as we know it. I would definitely recommend it both to people who are looking for a murder mystery with a twist and to people who are looking for compelling stories about the climate crisis, with an emphasis on how old societies collapse and transform into new ones. One of the underlying messages of Bannerless is that even when a society collapses, some people survive, and the survivors come up with a variety of good, bad, and just plain different ways of living in response to the collapse. The climate crisis probably won't lead to the extinction of our entire species, but it may lead to waves of catastrophic collapses and reformations that transform fundamental aspects of how we live in human societies. As our own real-world societies face grave threats such as climate change and pandemics that may very well lead to various forms and degrees of collapse, Bannerless is food for thought about what these collapses may look like and what choices we'll have to make along the way to the creation of a new society in the ashes of the old. So once again, this was a review of Bannerless by Carrie Vaughn. Now it's time for the Climate Reading List of the Week. This week's Climate Reading List of the Week is the Climate Books for Black History Month. Now, I did we did just have the end of Black History Month uh, yesterday at the time of this airing, but I did work on this during Black History Month. And as I said on my previous radio show, um, you know, this is stuff that we should be doing year-round, looking at these books and these topics. The nonfiction section of this reading list is based on the Climate Books for Black History Month reading list developed by Michael Svoboda, the Yale Climate Connections book editor. And I'm a big fan of his work and a big fan of Yale Climate Connections. Uh, it, he, he just comes up with such amazing, he, he does such research on finding all of these books on these themes. 
So for more reading lists like this, you can find Michael Svoboda on Yale Climate Connections. We also have the details in our newsletter and such at climatebookreview.com. So the first, the books on the list that were provided by Michael Svoboda are uh, all uh, are all nonfiction books. So I'm going to mention a few of these, and you can get more details in the article. But there's the 2023 NGO and Foundation Transparency Report Card, also known as Green 2.0. And I've heard about this before, and it is exciting to see it featured on a list like this, to see it getting more uh, awareness. This is data on the diversity of staff and inclusivity practices of nonprofit organizations, NGOs, and foundations in the environmental sector. After the murder of George Floyd and calls for racial and social justice in 2020, many sector organizations publicly committed to centering racial equality in internal staffing, organizational policies, and external programming. Three years later, this report serves as a key mechanism to hold organizations accountable for those promises. And uh, spoiler alert, there is still a lot of work to be done in that regard. So it is very important for this report to be produced and for people to know it exists because uh, knowing this current state of things can help us to create change. Another title on the list is Adversity to Advancement, 15 Climate Impacts and 45 Black-Led Pathways to Climate Justice. Uh, This is by Jackie Patterson, and uh, the description mentions that black communities are more likely to breathe polluted air, drink contaminated water, and live in homes on contaminated soil have compromised access to food and reliable energy, and feel the impacts of disasters as well as the consequences of false solutions, from carbon offsets to biomass to nuclear. Now, a lot of those things are things that can resonate right here in Carbondale in southern Illinois. So uh, this is a very important book on these topics. This analysis, review, and inventory reflect the fact that for every problem, there are three solutions that are already in motion. And for every solution, there are multiple entities leading change from different perches. So the next one on the list is Blueprint for a Multiracial Cross-Class Climate Movement. This is a report on coalitions. Uh, This is about, uh, here's the question that they pose. Why do some coalitions for climate action seem to work well while others fall apart? And how can traditional environmental organizations find not only common ground, but common ways of working across sectors with different types of advocates. To answer these questions, the Climate Advocacy Lab has developed a blueprint to analyze and break down how climate advocates can set up and work in the multiracial cross-class coalitions. Because if we're not all working together on these issues, then we're not going to get very far, are we? Our blueprint, their blueprint is made up of two complementary pieces, the report on coalitions and the workbook for coalitions. So it it reports on what is happening and then provides coalitions with a workbook to see how they can be better on these issues. And let's get through some more of these titles, and you can read the full details on the uh, reading list itself. There's Confronting Injustice, Racism and the Environmental Emergency. Uh, This is about how the legacy of colonialism has ensured racism and environmental emergency are inextricably linked. And so they confront this injustice. Another title is The Cost of Doing Business, The Petrochemical Industry's Toxic Pollution in the USA. This one's from uh, research staff of Amnesty International. 
And now several of these uh, have uh, free downloads. If it is a, a nonprofit report type of book, then there's often a free download option. And this latest report shows the harm suffered by local communities from pollution emitted by the petrochemical plants and refineries along the Houston Ship Channel in Texas. Another book on the list, We're Dying Here, The Fight for Life in a Louisiana Fossil Fuel Sacrifice Zone. This is a research document by Human Rights Watch. And this is, I've heard a lot of this from a lot of different climate justice sources. There's a it, Louisiana Fossil Fuel Sacrifice Zone. Uh, uh, there are parts of Cancer Alley. There's an area they refer to as Cancer Alley because of all of these projects and the pollution they emit. And this includes things that go beyond that as well, the whole zone, the whole region, and the ways in which it is sacrificed. And uh, what is being done to stop it? The next title is Urban Climate Justice, Theory, Praxis, and Resistance. Arguing that climate justice is one of our most pressing urban problems, this volume explores the possibilities and challenges for more just urban futures under climate change. The next one is Toxic Water, Toxic Systems, Environmental Racism, and Michigan's Water War. So this is the... Explore, exposes the consequences of a seemingly anonymous authoritarian state willing to maintain white supremacy at any cost, including the poisoning of an entire city and shutting off water to thousands of people. So if you may not be aware, this is about uh, drawing three years of ethnographic fieldwork in Flint and Detroit in Michigan. Next title is Climate Justice in the Majority World, Vulnerability, Resistance, and Diverse Knowledge. Another one is Black, Black to Nature, Pastoral Return, and African-American Culture. We also have Unearthed, On Race and Roots, and How the Soil Taught Me I Belong. So there's a wonderful variety of titles here. These are all the nonfiction section, but a lot of different nonfiction uh, approaches included in this list. Another title is Wild Life, Finding My Purpose in an Untamed World. So those are the nonfiction titles that we explored. I also, my additions to the list were to address a little bit of fiction. I would like at some time to do a more developed uh, climate fiction list for Black History Month uh, to research. See, I'm hopefully someone has done one already that I've not found yet. Um, but if not, to compile such a list. Because there are some great titles out there. The ones that I am familiar with uh, currently that I wanted to highlight are uh, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler and Parable of the Talents, also by Octavia Butler, a visionary sci-fi uh, black author who, uh, who left us too soon. A, a lot of our fans of hers would really like to see that third book in that trilogy, but uh, she passed before she could complete it. But she left many wonderful tales in the, uh, the first two volumes of the series. And there is much prescient material in there. Uh, I may do a whole book of the week on this at some point, uh, but, yeah, this was written in the 90s and explores a lot of stuff that is relevant today with the, the wildfires and the political discord in the United States. A lot of it was referenced in this novel before it happened and as it was unfolding. And an interesting one on a, a children's book front, I would also like to cover this one more in future episodes. The World is Ours to Cherish, A Letter to a Child by Mary Anise Heglar, uh, one of my favorite climate communicators, 
I've read a lot of her articles about uh, the intersections between climate justice and racial justice. And she is now delving into the world of fiction with this children's book and another novel coming out uh, later this year. So definitely stay tuned for that. My copy has not arrived yet. I, have, I pre-ordered The World is Ours to Cherish. Uh, it has not arrived in the mail yet. I was hoping to talk about it a little more today. But maybe I'll be able to save it for a future episode where I can discuss it fully. And definitely keep an eye on her work because she, um, you know, not just among black climate communicators, but among all climate communicators, she is one of the ones I have looked to the most. She used to do a podcast called Hot Take. Um, she's working on several projects currently. So be sure to look her up and be sure to check out uh, The World is Ours to Cherish for if you'd like a children's book that works for adults as well. It's basically a, a poem about uh, the climate crisis and climate justice from what I've heard. So it is something that can be meaningful for adults to read as well. Since that was quite a long and extensive reading list, I'd like to mention once again where you can find all of the details. You can find them by uh, going to climatebookreview.com is the show for this, the website for this show. You can also find Michael Svoboda on Yale Climate Connections. Uh, he was the one who compiled the nonfiction segment of the list, which was very, uh, very extensive and compelling. So be sure to uh, find more information about that from Michael Svoboda on Yale Climate Connections. In the meantime, thank you for listening to the Climate Book Review. You can find more information about this episode and this show at climatebookreview.com. If you have more suggestions also for future reading lists or entries to the reading list we did today, you can email me at info at climatebookreview.com. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support the show by telling your friends, by giving the show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast apps, and by donating to WDBX by visiting wdbx.org. Thank you to WDBX for broadcasting this and many other great shows. Thank you to Liborio Conti for the music, and thank you to Ed Hawkins for the warming stripes graphic used in our logo. Learn more at showyourstripes.info. It's quite a fascinating graphic that is uh, revealing about the warming of our world. Finally, thank you to everyone who is reading, writing, and taking action in response to the climate crisis. With our powers combined, we can make climate justice a reality. <laughs>